In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute you. you. Guys, we honor you today for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. We call it the arena. Thank you for listening to this episode of Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to to men. Our goal from every episode, as you know, is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the best version of you, because when a man gets it... Everyone wins. As you heard him here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver, who is the mix master and the backbone of the MCP and the producer. How you doing, my man? And I'm good. And the co-host. That's what and I And a do. little bit ugly. Uh, <laughs> and wow. Brian's bad breath. <laughs> I'm going to just go downstairs now. I'm just kidding. I repent, man. How you doing, man? I'm good. I was good. You was good until <laughs> til I bullied you. You, you bullied, bullied you. me. If Paul Coughlin was here, I'd yeah. be slapped in the hand for that. That's no bueno. Hey, Bill. <laughs> hey, do you have a man word for me today, I man? I do. So my man word here, I'm going to give it a little description here. When you're when you're playing pool, a lot of times when I would do this, uh, we'd hit the ball and we'd just say we'd shoot and pray. Uh, it, we were shooting guns. You'd Does spray this man and pray. Law really involve playing pool? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, and then also shooting guns. You know, when you say spray and pray. Um, no, I don't because I don't shoot an AK forty seven. I shoot a AR fifteen. It's just spray, and they need to pray because yeah. it's coming in hot, baby. And hoping that you hit your your target, you know, whether it's pool or guns or whatever, you know, there's that that whole thing. This the man word is intentional. So when you're going to do something, you do it with intentionality and not just like eh, whatever happens happens. So do you have like a, a, a catalog of all these man words? Because I'm pretty sure we've had that one. 
No. Well, and I'm pretty sure he didn't let me guess this one because of our guest today. Well, but that's okay. I, I, was, you. I was reading in our guest a uh, little bio there, uh-huh. and he has a little thing in there about being intentional. Oh, oh, so you, I picked you, that out. Are, do you catalog our man words? So, I mean, I think that we've used this before. Uh, I, no, no. Okay, okay. Well, I agree. I believe you. Yeah, I googled it, so it must be true. The news yeah. said it, so it must be true. Yeah, this is real, <laughs> real deal here. So, <sighs> so yeah, I just think that when we do stuff in life, where and I'm not talking about being intentional in like your relationship. That's a whole nother thing. I'm talking about being intentional and choices you make in life, what you're aiming for, what you're trying to get out of life, uh, and those things instead of just, eh. I think about a lot of young people. It's like, so what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. And then just get a job. Uh, but is that going to set you up for the path that you want to be on that's going to get you where you need to be to support yourself and your family? Well, or are you just going uh, yeah, to work, even yeah. if you hate it and you're going nowhere? Well, it, realistically, with men, you know, leaders know the way, go the way, and show the way, right? So if I'm a man and I'm married with kids, I need to be intentional. I need to have a plan. I need to be a visionary. I need to be a leader. If, if my wife is driving the whole family, I'm not the leader. A leader has a plan, and leader has intention. He has intent. He has purpose. He gets behind the family and looks out and sees the big picture. And so when he sees the big picture, he can see how they're doing, and he can learn to be intentional. So I really like that, man. So You're good being stuff. intentional at your family winning, so going out tonight and getting drunk and driving your car, you're not being intentional about winning in life. Bro, don't don't judge me. Yeah, I'm just saying. Okay, okay. Yeah. Just don't okay. Hey man, guys, we want to encourage you to get on our Men in the Arena Facebook forum. Again, that thing is exploding. That thing is awesome. You just if you're a part of this podcast, you just need to get on there and be a part of that. Also, make sure you're writing a positive review about what we're doing. So I'm really excited about our guest today. He's living in a different time zone on the East Coast, and we're over here in Oregon on the West Coast. Today we have our friend Mike Whitmer on the phone, and I want to talk to you about him real quick and we'll bring him on in a second. He's thirty nine years old, lives in Ashland, Virginia, married to his beautiful wife, Erin, of 12 years, October 28th, so just had an anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, He is a senior solutions architect for the last three years, and he founded DiscipleOneMinistries.com for men. Uh, As far as accomplishments and accolades he's the proudest of, it's dedicating his life to God's service, being a husband and a father, leading men in the footsteps of Christ. He's passionate about other men joining in fulfilling the Great Commission. He has two children, Noah 9 and Avery 8. They're very close in age, 15 months apart, and we're going to get ready to throw him into the rapid-fire round, so I want to welcome our guest this morning. So, hey, Mike, how you doing? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you guys doing today? Man, I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on the show today. Hey, man, we're excited, man. We're just going to throw you right in, man. We're going to throw you into our rapid-fire round. Are you ready for Let's this? Let's do it. All right. Hey, what I've done, Mike, is I've chosen uh, a round called the finish, the sentence round. I've pick, I've uh, chosen uh, sentences that would fit you and who you are, and so just want to get to know you a little bit better. So I've got six, and the first one is, I love Virginia because? Four seasons. Oh, oh that was easy. Mm. Wow. Now, so in Oregon, we have two seasons, <laughs> rain and construction. So what do you have over there? We've got it all, man. We've got beautiful summers. We've got awesome falls. We have awesome winters because we get uh, we're we're about two hours from everything where we are. So I can I grew up in the mountains, but now living outside of Richmond, 
we're about two hours from the beach. We're about two hours from the mountains. Uh, so we also have beautiful uh, spring season. And uh, so we're just really fortunate here to have all four and get to see some amazing changes. It's really, from my perspective, being that country boy growing up, uh, you get to see God's artwork. Well, now you have another season, and uh, I can't help it, but we're, we're on Skype right now. Our listeners don't see this, but behind you, you have a rifle, so you must have uh, a hunting season. What is that rifle behind us, and what's that scope on it? That is a 300 Win Mag, and that's a Night Force. Mm. Well, the, come on. You need that for whitetail? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a – if you also see back there, there's a tumbler. Oh, okay. Uh, so I reload, and I do a lot of long distance. Uh, I love 300 yards plus. Oh man, so. we should talk more about that on another another time. So okay, I just <laughs> I saw the gun and it was distracting. I had to ask. So how about this one? Next next uh, finish the sentence. Besides looks, the one thing I love about my wife is. Yeah, uh, her her one. I this this has changed over the years. So I'm sorry, but uh, to answer the question, love for God. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I had to take the looks out because guys usually say she's hot, you know, type of thing. So no. here's, here's one. The next one is this. I get ticked off when? Oh, uh, well, I'm Southern. So it's when uh, people don't say thank you for when I hold a door open for them. Uh, but again, I'm working on that. So is Virginia considered Southern? We are. We're past the Mason-Dixon line. And that's kind of like the, uh, the thing. So uh, we, we see our see ourselves as Southerners, but uh most people do not see Virginia as part of the South. Yeah, because it is uh, pretty high up. Have... Yeah. Yeah. Wow, interesting. So I need to learn more about this because the 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 Civil War we're a little removed from it on the West yeah. as as you guys are in the East. So, although Abraham Lincoln is my seventh cousin, so I'll say that again for the hundredth really? time on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We got to go to see the Lincoln Presidential Museum when we were in Springfield at a couple of men's events. That was really, really cool. So, awesome. All right, man. Uh, so if I could change one thing about my life, it would be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, and I've thought about this a thousand times, and uh, I would honestly have to say nothing. Okay. All right. As, well, as difficult as that is, but uh, there's reasons behind it. Well, and that's the thing. You, you talk a lot about pain in your writings and stuff, and I think that when we look at pain – we can go back years later and go, okay, I understand the purpose for the pain. So uh, the next one is this. The worst thing that ever happened to me was when? <laughs> uh, uh, to me personally or in my life. Let me I'm going I'm to say in your life. Um, that would definitely be uh, when my four-and-a-half-month-old son was shaken by his daycare provider. So I definitely want to tackle that and hear that story a little bit more because there's a lot to that, and uh, and we'll get to that in just a second. The last uh, finish the sentence I have for you, Mike, is this. Forgiveness is all about you. <laughs> Explain. Well, so there's a, there's a big misconception, uh, I believe, around forgiveness, and it's difficult to wrap, especially as a man, uh, your mind and especially your heart around forgiveness. Uh, but one of my favorite quotes that I use and, and, and believe wholeheartedly is to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to realize that that prisoner was you. Uh, forgiveness is nothing except about you and your walk with God and your life and uh, your life with your family. And forgiveness is a key that unlocks that door to the potential to the life that you could live. So did you just quote Corey Tinboom? 
Nope, Gandhi. Okay, because because I've given credit to Corey Tenboom on that quote right there. Yeah, I believe uh, I'm 100 percent, 99 percent sure that's Gandhi. But I always hate to say that because you know it's Gandhi. But at the same time, you got to give credit where credit's due. And um, I love that quote. Yeah, I do too. I just said, yeah, that's really good. I really do love that because I think the misconception is, I I need to forgive you because I need to give you freedom for what you did to hurt me. But what we realize is we're the ones in prison and the people that have hurt us the most either care about us the least or have no idea they hurt us. Yeah. Because I'll take it a step. I'm sorry to take it a step further. I'd even say that going back to scripture, if we don't forgive what's going to happen, our sins won't be forgiven. So it is wholeheartedly about us and about setting us free from a prison that we're currently in. So, yeah. So I think you were quoting Jesus and was it Matthew five fourteen? <laughs> is it five fourteen? If you don't uh, forgive 14. others for their, is it five or six? It's, it's, um, it's, I think it's Matthew five fourteen. Oh, oh. If you don't forgive, no, it must be chapter six because it's right after the Lord's prayer. If you don't forgive others when they hurt you, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. It was Jesus speaking in hyperbole or was he being serious there? How do you interpret that passage? Um, I interpret as literal, um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, and the way that I always look at this, this passage in this verse was the fact that, uh, I always saw forgiveness as an optional thing. It's just something that, uh, if, if you're able to do then great for you, but if not, then well, you're just a man. Um, and I hid behind that excuse for a long time, but it wasn't until my mother uh, in reference to my son said that she would never forgive the woman that did this to us and oh, to our family, Wow! that it hit me right in, uh, you know, the proverbial, um, location <laughs> that it wasn't about me, right? It wasn't about me. It also had ramifications to my family. And if my mother, who is the sweetest woman in, in the world, and, uh, you'll enjoy this reference. My wife uh, refers to her. She's so sweet that my mom must be killing squirrels in the backyard because something's just not quite right because of how sweet she is. Uh-huh, well, she uh-huh. just isn't sweet. Um, but when she said that she couldn't forgive this woman, I knew that I had to do something. And uh, we as men are called to step up and be the first and to lead by example. Uh, and that's ultimately kind of set me on that journey because what I love about uh, that verse is the second part, right? And it's, it's great, but at the same time, uh, to put it bluntly, it sucks. Your Father in heaven will forgive you of all of your sins. But, and it's always the but that kind of stinks, totally. right? Yep. That, which invokes action. And you have to understand and appreciate that action step. And that action step is we, we have to die to ourselves, just like Christ died for us, and say, yes, I will be willing to step out in faith and forgive this person, even if they don't deserve it. Uh, and that's why I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's a great verse. And I think the other thing, too, and I interpret, because I also interpret it literally, I think that if we refuse to forgive, then what we do is we put ourselves on the throne of God. We make ourselves God, and a person who's on the throne of God making themselves God can't worship God. Therefore, they're not a believer. So I mean, you. I mean, if you're, you know, if we're going to take it to an extreme, if I refuse to forgive, 
then then I don't I don't have faith in Christ because he his ultimate act of service was to forgive those who sinned against him. Do you agree with that? I do. And uh, one of the things that when I when I speak to men or I try and um, help men through uh, the first steps of forgiveness, you know, one of the first questions that I always get asked is when, you know, when when could you start? And I'm like, well, it's not about me. Uh, We should look at the one who set the example. And if you go back, what are the first words that Christ uttered as soon as he was nailed to the cross? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not a question of timing. Uh, It's a question of when can you take that step? And for Christ, who is the, the, the one that we should look to, the example, you know, it was immediate. Those were his first words after being nailed to the cross. His Father, forgive them. So you say it's immediate, and I agree that there's an immediate action, but it seems to me that forgiveness is a process that is initiated after that crisis, that immediate crisis where we say, I forgive. What I have seen is that forgiveness, there's a process, it takes time. Or, or do you argue that it's immediate? No, I, I argue that uh, the example that we're given through Christ is immediate. But what, <laughs> because we're man, yes, uh, we are men, and um, we are not as quickly uh, as forgiving as Christ was. It is a process, and it's something that I, I actually refer to and call a road or a journey. And uh, one of the things that I love about it is if you look at when God calls people into action— or even Christ in the Bible, come with me, follow me, walk. It's all about a journey. It's yeah. not about the destination. It's not about where you're going to go. It's about the walk. And forgiveness for me is a road. And it starts with a daily choice. To the, You have to wake up and say, I'm going to choose to do this because I know God is calling me to do it, and I know that it's going to set me free. So for me, just as an example— uh, I would say that my road was uh, about four years long in between when the Holy Spirit convicted me to do something and from the time that I can look back to that moment in time when I close my eyes and take myself back to that situation that I can actually look at that situation and not feel and taste hate and vengeance on my tongue. Man, that's so, really good. I've got some things I've written down I think is really good. I think we're heading in a great direction. The problem is we don't know your story, and we don't know about the forgiveness. You alluded to it with the, your baby being shaken. So let's go back, Mike, and why don't you tell us about yourself, uh, the things that you enjoy, and then let's let's kind of conclude with this story about this, uh, this uh, worker shaking your child. Okay. Um, so just kind of pinpoint me where you'd like me to start and— uh... Oh, you just direct tell us, me as I as I go. Yeah, just tell us about yourself and the things you enjoy, okay. all that stuff, and then uh, end with the story of your your baby being shaken. Okay, great. Uh, I've never been asked that question before, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so I love, uh, as we were talking about earlier, to to hunt and fish, but uh, I have really felt that the greatest calling. Uh, in my life is to help other men that have been broken, beaten, and uh, kind of tormented by life in general. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, my greatest um, feeling, if you will, is when I have a man that comes up to me and says, hey, Mike, uh, I want to run away from this small group, this D group, this this discipleship group that you're doing, because I am scared to death of what God is going to make me give up. Mm. And I'm like, well, what makes you say that? And his statement was, I know 
oh, I believe I know what God wants for me. I'm scared to give up what it is that he wants me to let go of in order to get a closer relationship with him. That would surmise uh, what I feel is, um, is just awesome, right? Because it's not, it's not me that's convicting this person. It's, uh, it's God and the Holy Spirit that's convicting this individual and saying, hey, come closer to me. And the individual saying, man, I'm going to have to give some stuff up. I'm not going to like it. My life, you know, it's not what it's – I'm going to have to make big changes in my life in order to get closer to God. But I know that's what God wants me to do. So long story short, my, um, my joy is what makes me happy has definitely changed a little bit. First and foremost, I love being a father. Um, my wife would tell you that sometimes I don't make the best decisions as a father. Um, my, my youngest is eight years old. He can, he can drive a four wheeler. They drive the vehicles all except my, my wife's car. Cause that's off limits. But, uh, you know, I was driving a dumb truck before I was 15 and I had my learners. Um, you know, I, I had every job underneath the sun and, you know, I thank God for that because it, I was able to learn what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and I went after what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, one of the things that I would say to other guys out there that I found, and one of the big questions I get is, well, I don't have enough time to do ministry. I don't have enough time. Uh, my schedule doesn't, you know, allow me. And, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll just simply say is that uh, 30 minutes is enough. One guy is enough. One situation is enough. If you can affect and change one man's life, that's enough. And, I would say that uh, you don't have to live in a yurt somewhere around the world to, <laughs> to get into ministry and do God's work, right? And one of the biggest things that I learned is I had guys all the time saying, well, I would love to discipleship somebody. How do I find that person? How do I, um, you know, where? And my statement is always the same thing. Look left at Sunday. Look right on mm -hmm. Sunday. There are so many broken men in church today. And that's as far as you need to look to find one, to pour into his life, to help them in some situation uh, and build them up. So I know I'm taking a long way to answer your question, but uh, my answer would be building other men up, releasing other men and allowing them to walk the path that God has for them through their life, through breaking down the walls and the borders that life erects around us. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you know, I think, you know, when I, I've been around the block a few times, man, I've been in ministry for 30 years now, and I've heard every excuse under the book from charismatic men, from fundamentalist men, from men in the middle. I've, I've had men mask it in many different ways, but it all comes down to this. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a servant of God and others. If I refuse to serve God and others, even though I claim to follow, be a follower of Jesus, I have a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a head issue. So no matter what the answers are, no matter how much a person knows about God, if I'm unwilling to serve and give my life away to others, I've, I've got a heart problem that needs to be fixed, which leads me to the next question, Mike. Uh, tell us, you founded Disciple One Ministries. Now, is this a nonprofit organization? It is. It's a nonprofit organization uh, designed and devoted to discipleship with the intention of having one man be enough. So, so what happens if I join Disciple One Ministries? If I join your ministry, what do I do? What you're, uh, what you're willing to do is to meet at least with one other man. Uh, the idea would be to meet with two uh, to five men in a group. 
Uh, and it's a study. It's a, it's a, it's a journey. It takes 12 to 15 months uh, for you guys to go on. And essentially, you're reading the Bible. Uh, and you're discussing the Bible. You're discussing how you can apply it in your life. And you're discussing um, what steps that you can take based on the reading that you're doing at the time uh, in order to make a change. And the reason this all came about is I was a part of men's group for four years. And um, I, for four years, I sat in a men's group and didn't say a word, didn't open my mouth, because every time that I tried to express, and I didn't answer your question earlier about my son, I'm sorry, well, but every time I, I said something, everything, I, every time I opened my mouth about a, 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 my son and what I was going through and the emotional baggage that I carried, men would turn their back on me. Hmm. And every time that that happened... I'm a firm believer in one thing, and I say this all the time, is I will say something three times. I won't say the fourth, because if you didn't hear me the first three times, you're not going to hear me the fourth. Yeah. And what I learned from that was men are going to turn their backs on me. As soon as I open my mouth and give my perspective, men are going to turn and run away. And I had somebody in that group look at me and said, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. And we met together one-on-one for over a year. And I'd say within four to five months of building an intentional discipleship relationship, my walls came tumbling down. I was able to share my heart, my emotions, my feelings without this guy running away because his intention was to actually hear my heart and to break me out of this prison that I was in and get me closer to God. So by one man just saying, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee, it really unlocked uh, my God-given potential to reach other men. And so the disciple one has a couple of meanings. The first meaning is, you know, there was one guy who broke me free. There's one man that broke all of us free. There's one man who is the ultimate disciple maker. Um, And then the second meaning is, you know, even if you're able to reach one other man, it's worth the effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. So on your website, I read this. I'm not a man who's going to talk about perfection, this is you speaking, or how to walk with God without pain, because that's never been my experience. I've lain, I've lain in dark pits of depression. I've struggled with sin. I've made mistakes that led me away from God instead of closer to Him. So one of your pain points is when your son was shaken. Do you want to take us back to that moment when your son, I think you told me, died? I think that's what you told me. So do you want to yeah. tell us that story? Sure. Um, and I just want to state for, um, you know, uh, it took me a long time to even be able to retell the story and willingly, but now it's, it's so amazing the transition in between then and and now, because then it's what defined me. It's who I was. It, It was like a badge that I carried of shame that ended up, uh, ruining and wrecking every single relationship in my life. And now when I meet people for the first time, it's the last thing that comes up in conversation. Mm. Um, so there, there's something to be said about that transition, which is very important. Um, but I started a new job, a uh, new house, new location. I was a brand new father for the first time. Um, I had my kids life mapped out and I think he was only, you know, two months into conception. He was still in the womb and him and I are going snowboarding in Colorado and Utah. And I've got all these things mapped out and planned. And, uh, my wife, called me about eight times consecutively one day at work, two weeks into a new job, and my boss is talking to me, and I'm ignoring the phone calls, and finally, he's like, I just got to ask, who is that? He's like, well, I was like, that's my wife. He's like, "Uh, maybe you should get it. Hmm. 
So I picked up the phone and um, I said, yeah, babe. And she said, Noah is listless. Uh, and she's just hyperventilating. And, and listless was a new word to me. I never knew what listless was. And it's probably a good thing I didn't know what it was at the time. And um, she said, we're on the way to the hospital. Get there as quickly as you can. Well, again, I'm a country boy. Uh, not something you want to say to a country boy living in the city. Yeah. Uh, I got my truck and uh, I might have broke a couple of laws um, <laughs> arriving. I actually got there, I think, before the ambulance did and uh, parked illegally and just ran in and uh, was started looking for my son. Well, I found uh, my wife and, and Noah. Well, Noah, again, was four and a half months old, and he was laying on a table with about 15 or 20 different doctors around him working on him. And uh, there's certain things in your life that you'll never be able to get out of your mind, visions, uh, moments in life that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to not see. Well, this is one of those times because uh, the first thing I saw was just this this gray, lifeless body. And um, to bring you up to that point was – my wife got a call, um, and it was the daycare provider's daughter saying that there was an issue and that he's being taken to the hospital. 911 got a call that said um, my son had choked on milk and was non-responsive, and they were performing CPR, and paramedics were on the way. Well, when they got there, um, you know, obviously Noah was unresponsive, and later coming out, the fact is that um, – Essentially, what happened, you know, this is two days into the hospital stint. Yeah. Us not knowing. My wife, uh, one of the reasons I love her is, you know, her first thought was, how is this woman doing? How is uh, her name is Trudy? How is Trudy doing? How are Trudy's daughters doing? Because this traumatic event happened at their house. And um, my wife's thoughts were around that. Well, when the evidence came back, CT scans, uh, retinal scans, brain scans, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, we were faced with a mounting, uh, just a surmountable amount of evidence and took it to the daycare provider. And I didn't know this, but there's actually a doctor, a forensics doctor Whoa. at hospitals. And uh, what they do, their job is to take a collective amount of evidence and come up with a hypothesis to how all of that trauma could have happened in a single instant. Wow. And his diagnosis, uh, which is a, a term that none of us like is was shaken baby syndrome. That's BS. And, um, so we went with that evidence to her and she finally admitted, yes, I did pick him up and shook him, but not that hard. Well, she recounted that word, sacadir in Spanish, um, and said that's not what she meant. But anyway, when uh, two days into the hospital stay, when she admitted to shaking my son, uh, I lost it, <clears throat> proverbially, physically, mentally. And um, I left the hospital and uh, drove straight to her house. Now, she was in custody, but uh, her husband and her two daughters were in the house. And um, I'm sitting outside of the house. And again, this is something that I share with men uh, across the country, and this is something that I definitely want to preface by saying I'm not proud of this, but this is part of who I am and who I was and in my walk. Um, I sat outside that house because the the first thing that somebody ever said to me or would always say to me after hearing the story of how somebody hurt my infant child, I would kill her. Mm. I, I would be in jail. Um, I don't know how you couldn't have. I would have. 
And, you know, my statement to them is always the same. Well, I almost did. And, you know, so I sit outside of her house looking in her window, watching her husband and, and two daughters contemplating how I was going to exact my revenge. And uh, my intention was to make them feel the same level of pain that I was feeling. And um, luckily, I, I told men that, you know, God was riding shotgun. <laughs> and thank God I get to speak to some guys that are a little bit older <clears throat> who actually remember what a VHS player was. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, you guys. So right there in my truck, uh, what God allowed me to see, and I can't even describe it any other way than this, is my life in 15 years fast-forwarding. It's like when you're watching a VHS and, you, and it's on play and you hit the fast-forward button, you still see it. And it just kind of goes right before your eyes. And I got to see 15 years of my life. If I stepped out of my door and went into their door, what that would look like. And I got to see my wife raising my kid alone, uh, trying to struggle bills, financial issues, and living a life of sheer misery. And, and I joke and laugh that, and I say that orange just isn't my color because I saw myself <laughs> obviously sitting yeah. behind a prison. And uh, then, you know, in the same time I got to see on the other side of it was what was going to be required of me as a father and as a man of my household. And that is to work, to be responsible, to provide. And I'm telling you, we, we went through seven or eight years of just five different occupational, physical, visual, five or six therapies a week for years. And, um, and that's what we ended up having to go through. So, uh, I thank God that he was riding with me that day and I didn't get out of the car, but it shook me so much that I left her house and I drove around until I, to three different churches until I found one that was open. And you want to talk about a nasty, broken man showing up on the doorstep of a church at about nine o'clock at night. Some guys had just gotten out of a men's group and here I come rolling up broken, I mean, wow. ugly ball, right? Ugly balling. And uh, they're just, they think that I just got mugged and beat up. And, you know, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, this is what happened. Long story short, uh, the next morning, um, I, luckily those men prayed for me on the doorstep of the church. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I had a completely different mission. And I called everybody I knew, believer or not believer. And I said, please, please pray for my son. And not just that, call everybody that you know and pray for my son. And um, so in that moment, I look back and I, it's that moment that when I took myself out of the equation and I gave it to God, and that's the difficult part, is giving it to God, right? Yep. Is on a daily basis, taking the anger, taking the violence, taking the hate, taking all of the things that you want to do, putting that away and saying, God, you do this because I can't. I can't take it. I can't handle it. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, our friends uh, put up a website, and um, needless to say, it was called Noah's Road at the time. We had over 160 different countries and millions of people wow. around the world wow. praying for our son. And I think uh, that ultimately, he was never supposed to walk, never supposed to talk. He was in two or three different medically induced comas, massive brain damage, massive retinal damage. We still, uh, he's legally blind. So we're still in, in the throes of life. Right. Oh. But, uh, we're still we're, we love 
we love where we are. Uh, we love this situation, and simply because we get to share it with other people, and we get to share one that God does still answer prayers. Two miracles do still happen, and uh, I say that because every other child that was in the PICU on that floor while Noah was there uh, died, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to a lot of different funerals, and um, you also get that whole while I was out of there, you know, and I'm talking children of, of cancer and the whole nine yards, and you know, so it definitely wrecks you as an individual and as a man. Uh, you want to talk about getting broken and beaten. There's no better way to do that than through a child. And um, so I'm a guy who will say that I, I won't speak about perfection. I won't speak about, um, you know, how you should do things. I will simply say that um, I know it worked for me. And what worked for me was giving it to God and just asking for one more day and to get through the day. And, um, you know, it's, it's ultimately a story of deliverance, of answered prayers, and the fact that God still does miracles. So tell us uh, two questions about this story. You said Noah is legally blind today. What other, how is he doing besides that? How, how is he? Does he? Is he cognitively fully functioning? Tell us about him. So, um, so I will back up and answer this uh, in a different way as well. But I'll just say that um, we were even said that he'll never walk, talk, or function. But um, and we had one of our my wife's best friend's family uh, literally say that we should pull him off life support. That's that's where we were. So fast forward to today, he's in the fourth grade. He is technically legally blind, has a lot of uh, visual impairment issues, but uh, he is on par in every other single way. Wow. Uh, is a running beautiful child that, um, I like to say it this way. If you didn't know there was an issue, you wouldn't know there's an issue. Hmm. Well, praise so, God. Wow. So God. now did Trudy ever do go to jail for this or what happened there? She did. Um, and we were fortunate, uh, in our community, the SBS community, because a lot of people do not get to serve jail time, but, um, she actually got 12 and a half years, and one of the ways that God tested uh, Aaron and I on our forgiveness journey is uh, she was recently released uh, from prison. Uh, she went to Peru, back home, and um, my wife's first missions trip ever was to Lima. And uh, Lima actually—well, Peru sent consulates from D.C. down to Fairfax, and uh, they actually funded her defense— and uh, for a long time, we wouldn't even buy anything from Peru because we felt slighted by that. But uh, yeah, yeah, my wife ended up going and serving um, the the children of Peru at uh, in, in Lima at a um, an orphanage, and that was a big step in both of our uh, forgiveness wow. journeys and wow. walks. Well, so I'm gonna take we're gonna take a short break and hear from our sponsor. We'll come right back, Mike. So thanks a lot. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's building an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts and every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There, you'll lock arms with men from all around the world who are stepping up as their best version. What is a man? What does he do? How does he live? When does he know when he's crossed over from male to man? 
the lines defining manhood have become blurred and guys today are more confused than ever. That's why I wrote the man card, five characteristics separating men from boys. Guys, you're going to love this book. Go to the Great Unforgot app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. No book written defines manhood in such a way as this. I'll put the man card next to any book ever written on the topic. Yes, I believe it's that good. In the man card, I expose several myths of manhood and draw a line in the sand between men and males. This book will change your life. Guys, thank you so much for jumping into the arena with us today and championing the greatest battle of our time. Become your best version. Join the fight to change your world because when you get it, everyone wins. Okay, so earlier in the podcast, you had said forgiveness. Either you said this or I wrote it down. Either way, I'll give you credit. Forgiveness is a choice. You did say that. Then I wrote down, then a process. So forgiveness is a choice. I need to forgive. Then it's a process. And then you had talked about earlier on the process of forgiveness. Do you have a roadmap or a process of forgiveness. Now, I do have a forgiveness acrostic I found in your materials, but but in your in your experience in your teaching, what is this process of forgiveness? Um, so for me, um, it's actually something that I'm writing. Is a um, I guess it's a Bible study uh, on forgiveness. Uh, for me, the the road the process is it starts with thoughts. Uh, you have to change the way that you think. You have to change the way that you speak. You ultimately, the way you speak will change your actions, and then your actions become habits. So it's a way of kind of going through it. Um, the process starts again with your thought process, because ultimately you are your own worst enemy, and you can either dig a deeper hole or you can dig out of a hole. Uh, yeah, so for me it's a uh, mental process first. Uh, it's a mental process first, and then it's a physical process. And I alluded to this as, you know, for me with with depression and forgiveness, they they both kind of went hand in hand. Um, you got to daily pack your crap into a box and <laughs> put it on the mantle, you know. And I'm in that. And the only thing that I was able to do is to pack my crap into a box and put it on a mantle and say, "God, take it," because I can't carry it. Um, and then after doing that for years and saying then uh, you ultimately reach a point to where you got to make a choice are you going to move beyond or are you going to stay in and it's simply it is that choice so it starts with a choice to to think more positively to stop thinking negatively and then once you do that to move into a place of now i need to start acting it out uh and saying it and for me i used to have to pray uh god Please forgive her. Please forgive me, even though I didn't mean it. Yeah, and I yeah. just have to put it on autopilot for three years until my heart finally caught up. So it's for me, the process is simply thinking differently, talking differently, acting differently. Eventually, that will become the habit. Well, that's really good. Uh, th- thinking, speaking, uh, talking. Uh, you made a couple comments there that I want to go back and quote you on. You said, "I did these things even though I didn't mean it," and then and I and I agree with you. And you said until my heart caught up, and I would agree yep. with that a hundred percent. One of the things I do when I'm I had to work through a process of forgiveness several years ago, 
and uh, I've helped numerous people through forgiveness. And I go back to Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 27 through 36. I think they're the best uh, roadmap on forgiveness that we have. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, he continued, he said, whoever tur- uh, hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. I don't think that's literal. I, I think, and we uh, talked a lot, a lot about that on Paul Coughlin's interview. Whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Anyway, it's a really a great process. It's very radical. But the thing that really stood out to me the most when I'm working through a process of forgiveness is praying about and praying for the person who hurt me. Yep. And, and I'll be honest with you, man. And and you said uh, even though you didn't mean it. And so what I do is I actually pray prayers and I mean it. Like I'll say, God, strike that person down. I'll cuss. I'll you know I'll be very honest with God about how I feel about that person. And honestly, when I'm praying for that person, I pray about them. <laughs> I'm not praying right. for them. And so, but I commit during this forgiveness process to pray about or to pray. And then over time, what I find is my heart begins to catch up, as you said earlier, and I find myself praying for them. And it isn't until I've realized that I'm praying for God's blessings upon their life. And I've done this numerous times with various people. But when I get to the point where I'm praying praying for God's blessing upon their life, that's kind of when I know I've crossed over. But this process, you know, the choice took, you know, the choice takes an instant, right? But the process takes... Years is that is that accurate? Can it take years? years. And you said it took you four years. Is well, that right? It took, it took me four years, and I think it depends on the severity. And my wife and I joke yeah. and laugh when we when we speak about forgiveness. We're not talking about your husband leaving your socks on the ground, you know, in the bedroom. We're we're talking about serious stuff, and we're talking about you know. And one of the things that that I get asked a lot about is, well, it was my father twenty years ago. It was my father thirty. It was an uncle. It was somebody who's passed and dead. Well, one of the things that I relate to that is this woman has never admitted guilt. She has had, we've been to the Supreme Court in Virginia six times, the Innocence Project, the same two lawyers that uh, represented John Lee Malvo, the D.C. snipers, represented her. Uh, He tried to shake my hand, and that did not go very well in court. Mm. Um, And so we've had numerous different challenges within that but one of the things that i say is she's still we are still painted as of last month when she was released there was a news article written my son's not mentioned she's the victim so even throughout all of this my family is perpetrated as uh, an oppressor she's the victim and we we still have to forgive her even though she doesn't admit guilt never admits any sort of issues within this at all but at the same time, during your walk, during those years of, of, of asking God about it, you realize it makes no difference. Yeah. And that's ultimately yeah. what you got to drive home is I don't care if they're dead this 20 years ago. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two. Reconciliation requires an admittance of guilt. Well, what do you do if you can't get that admittance of guilt? Well, you still have to forgive anyway, because it's not about them. It's about you and setting yourself free. Screw them. Well, and that's the thing. I had somebody uh, confront me on forgiveness one time and said, 
you said sometimes reconciliation is impossible. And I said, I did. And they said, well, we disagree. Nothing's impossible with God. And I said, you know what? Stop throwing <laughs> Christian cliches around because oh. if that person dies, it is impossible. If that yeah. person dies, if you're a, a young girl who was violated or victimized sexually by your stepfather, you know, 40 years ago and he's dead, there's no way that you can reconcile. But what you can do is reconcile your heart with God. I'm going back to your quote from Gandhi or T- Corey Tinman, whoever said it, mm-hmm. to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to realize that prisoner is you. Whether that person who violated us is dead, whether they're playing the victim card, whether they're not, maybe they're completely ignorant about the pain they caused. It's about us walking in freedom. We can reconcile. I do believe in reconciliation. I do believe it's possible that reconciliation sometimes is my heart to God. And And that's the biggest thing that needs to be reconciled, that I can walk in freedom. Here's the other thing, Mike. Tell me what you think about this. I'm going back to that Gandhi quote. But the hard part about forgiveness is when we refuse to forgive. I want you to talk to this point here. When we refuse to forgive, that very person who we refuse to forgive owns us, and they become one of the biggest parts of our life, even though we want them to be the least important part of our life, what happens is they begin to own our heart. Talk about that. Uh, they do. Um, it's so funny you put it that way. But I do want to share one thing really quickly, going back to the reconciling with God. What I'll say, and I, I think I just heard you switch it. Uh, what I'll say is my first statement to people used to be, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is punch God in the face. Why would you say that? Well, because God put me through a bunch of crap, and I had no idea why, and I want to know why. And what I look at and say now is, you know, all of this other crap that happened in my life uh, through childhood up, uh, you know, being 16 years old, laying on my brother's grave, cursing God and asking him to change places so I didn't have to live anymore. But I didn't want to throw my life away because I felt a sense of dedication to him. Because he didn't have a life, right? So all of this crap, just to get to this point to say, I can walk through this. I yeah. can get through this. Everything else has been leading up to this moment in my life. And that's there are no great testimonies without great trials. Yes. If you want to have an amazing testimony, by God, you're going to be tried. And so... But that's where we guys have to like kind of die to ourselves and just say, all right, I'm going to own it. Uh, and I'm sorry. So backing up um, to your second point, what can quickly happen left unchecked is the individual that uh, has hurt us, that has done this one thing to us in this brief moment. Uh, and one of my spiritual mentors tells me all the time, don't let one bad minute ruin your entire day. Mm-hmm. And what we let happen is we let one bad situation, one bad circumstance ruin our entire life. Yeah. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's because we hold on to it. The person who committed the atrocity, the person who committed the fence, they're over it. They yeah. moved on the next day. They don't care. We hold on to it. We make it and build it up into this thing that ultimately will rob us of the life that God has planned for us. Yes. And um, I say this 
I use this example that uh, this guy died and went to the pearly gates and he's getting walked back and to God. And he looks over and he sees this large warehouse and it's full of presents, you know, five, six rows high. And it's just ribbons and bows everywhere. And the guy's like, Hey, what, what's this? And, um, the angel turns around and looks at me and he's like, well, that's all the gifts that God had planned for you to receive had you walked in accordance to his plan. Mm. And I feel like God doesn't make us into robots, right? He allows us to walk our own walk. But he has so many different things in our life that are such blessings and, and beautiful things and presence from God. But we have to walk right. And if we choose to let these things from our past define us, then they will own us. Yes, they'll own us. That's the key phrase. They will own us. And we'll go back to Matthew 6, 14 and 15 or from earlier in our podcast. The reason Jesus said, I won't forgive you is because we're owned by someone else when God wants to be the only one that lays his claim of ownership on our hearts. And so it's an ownership issue. That's really good, man. So so here's a question. So, you know, we're talking to guys here on our podcast, thousands of guys listen to this podcast. And a lot of times what we will do as guys is we will suppress the pain, right? We'll put it away. It's behind here. But that pain is there nonetheless. That lack of forgiveness is there nonetheless. Here's, here's my question for you, uh, Mike. How does a guy know when he needs to forgive someone. In other words, how do you know when you are in bondage or you are walking in unforgiveness? How does a guy know that? What are the signs that you see when a guy needs to forgive someone? That's a great question. And I do have a, a forgiveness test that I kind of go through. Um, but I also, before I answer that question, I want to say really quickly to the guys out there that say that uh, my pain is invaluable, that my pain that I, I don't want to share my life stories. And we find this a lot with older guys and especially mentoring younger men. You're wasting your God-given potential to mentor to those younger men. Please stop being quiet and say something because those younger men are going to repeat your mistakes if they don't have an older man pouring into the life saying, you don't have to do it that way. Right. And so for me, my prayer was always, God, take this crap in my past and give it a purpose. Give it meaning. Don't let me go through all of this junk and not have a reason. Well, that's when, you know, uh, there's some country song out there like, you know, well, God just turned around and said, well, go use it. Well, that puts the onus back on us. So that means we've got to put our big boy pants on and step out in faith and go do something with it. Yeah. Well, what does that look like? It looks like meeting with other guys and sharing our life and sharing your pain sharing your stories, not bottling them up and keeping them inside. And so to answer your question, what I ask my guys to do is to close their eyes, go back to that moment in life that is the most offensive, that egregious moment, that thing in your past that you just know when, whenever you go there, um, that you know it's a defining moment. Uh, a buddy of mine calls them a stake in the ground moments. It's a, it's a stake in the ground that your life will never be the same, good, bad, or indifferent. And close your eyes, go back to that moment. Do you still taste bitterness? Do you still taste hate on your tongue? If you do, you have not forgiven that person. Mm. If you can't, to your point earlier, if you can't say a prayer like my wife and I do for this woman, we pray for her soul every day. Why do you pray for her soul? 
Well, we pray for her soul because if she is saved, if she is, if she does know Jesus, she would say, I'm sorry. She never has, which tells me that she isn't saved. And, you know, one of my best, greatest verses that I, I used to get through my tragedy was God's vengeance is better than ours, yep. right? We'll get, let God have the vengeance. Well, then somebody said, well, great, Mike, what are you going to do if she gets saved and goes to heaven? And I'm like, well, that took a long time to have an appropriate answer, right? Because I didn't like my initial answer. Uh, the appropriate answer is I couldn't want anything else, yep. right? I wouldn't want anything else. But I don't believe that's happened yet simply because she hasn't asked for forgiveness herself. And that's why my wife and I still pray for her. Well, and that's the key thing, um, because I've had issues in my life where I've had to forgive people, and it was a process. And one of the, the greatest signs I knew that I had worked through the process of forgiveness and popped out on the other side was when I was ready to genuinely forgive that person if they were to come to me and ask for forgiveness. Because there's a there's a time frame in there where even if they ask for your forgiveness, your heart would not be willing or ready to forgive them, even though we'd like to you know Christianize it and say, oh, I would forgive because the Bible says so. But in my heart, I wasn't ready. But when I am at a point where I am praying blessings over their life, praying authentically for their soul to be saved, and ready for them to forgive me if they come to me. I had a situation recently where I ran into somebody who I had worked through this process of forgiveness, and I was like, I need to have my heart right, because if this person comes to me and asks for forgiveness, I want to generally, genuinely embrace the forgiveness they're asking for with a heart that is pure and, wait for it, free. So uh, that I, I I love that this is this is so rich and so deep. I really appreciate it. We are running out of time, Mike. So do you have uh, any closing thoughts on forgiveness and what you're learning? I do, uh, and I would just ask the guys uh, out there listening. You know, it, it's hard to understand sometimes and realize that uh, you might need help, that you might require help. And I would just ask you simply: Are there things in your past that you're holding on to? that are dictating your current and your future. Uh, if your life is being run through the filter of your past, you will never live in the present and you will never get to the future that God has for you. You've got to wipe that slate clean. And to my knowledge, there's only one man that can wipe the slate clean and uh, that's Jesus Christ. And it's only through him. So you, you, you can't do it yourself. You got to go to God and you got to give it to God. Yeah, that's good, man. One of the things that you've said over and over again in your writings is pain is just pain until you give it a purpose. And we can't have that purpose unless we walk through forgiveness. That's when we really start to discover what that is. So, hey, man, I appreciate that. Hey, Mike, uh, one last question here at the Man Card Podcast. We define manhood. We define the man card as five things. Protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Which one of those five stands out the most to you personally and why? Finishing strong um, for a couple of different reasons. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't start my life um, too strongly. Uh, I didn't live my adolescence too strongly. Uh, but if there is one thing uh, that I will do, and that is to finish strong, and um, I'm going to live out. And there's, I'll, I'll put it this way. We're only given um, one commission, 
We're given a couple of different commands, but we're only given one commission. And uh, God told us to go and make disciples of all nations and keeping uh, his people uh, to the teachings that he gave us. And that is how I plan to finish my life. And that starts with my family. That starts with my two sons. And uh, by God's grace, I will bring others along with me. Man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, to share your wisdom, your personal story, even though it's been painful. We do see the purpose on the other side, uh, calling us all the way from Virginia here, three hours ahead of us. Sure, appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Hey, and then so I guess if we want to know more about your ministry, just go to disciple disciple1.com. The disciple one numerical one disciple one ministries.com disciple one ministries.com and hey man i want to invite you feel free to post any cool stuff you have on the men in arena facebook forum love to see our guys get a hold of your stuff and work through this stuff as well awesome appreciate it gentlemen hey no problem and hey guys you've been listening to the man card podcast changing your world is the toughest thing you'll ever do but we want to invite you to enlist in our army download the great hunt for god app it's free it unlocks the world of the great hunt for god also subscribe if you haven't done so already to the man card podcast make sure you go and write a positive review and we will send you some swag maybe even mention your name on our podcast and guys lastly don't forget to join the men arena closed facebook forum for men guys join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it everyone wins until next time feel the wet sand of the arena floor hear the deafening roar of the crowd taste the sweetness of victory smell the stench of battle get in the game get dirty grind it out and be a man this is dale culver and you've been listening to the man card podcast has your man card been challenged today if you hungry to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card. Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. If you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, The Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.